This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth. This was the sermon from July 24th, presented by Reverend Dr. Lisa Barnett. I was so happy that she was able to be here with you all, and I'm so glad that she brought such a wonderful message. I hope you enjoy, and God bless. Our speaker this morning has been here before. She's a native of Blackwell, the other Maroons. So we're going to have a brief period of meditation (laughs) while we get over that. Okay. She was ordained in 2008, and she currently is an assistant professor at Phillips Theological Seminary. She's been there four years, starting her fifth. In her area of emphasis or expertise or instruction is religious history. I would ask your prayerful attention to our speaker, the Reverend Dr. Lisa Barnett. Too many titles there. delighted to be back with you today. It's been about a little over a year or so. Our scripture text today comes from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Here ends our reading. Now, Mark's gospel is interesting in its literary style and presentation. There is a powerful sense of urgency, especially if you go back to that first chapter. In a mere 24 sentences, we have the ministry of John the Baptist, the baptism of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, the arrest of John, the calling of the disciples, and this first episode of teaching and healing in the synagogue at Capernaum. Now that's six scenes in 24 sentences. Matthew and Luke take almost five chapters to get to this point, but Mark is in a hurry to tell the story. In fact, the most common word in the first chapter of Mark's gospel 
is immediately. And in the rest of the 15 chapters, the word appears 31 times. It's used more than the words faith, hope, and love. Mark is not writing an epic novel like War and Peace. His writing style is more like of a car chase scene from Fast and the Furious. He's trying to tell us that Jesus is a man on a mission. And in this gospel, Jesus is action-oriented. And our text today bears witness to this. Will you pray with me? Oh God, we pray, speak in this place, in the calming of our minds and in the longing of our hearts by the words of my lips and in the thoughts that we form. Speak, O oh Lord, for your servants listen. Amen. We just read that Jesus amazed people with his teaching. He taught as one having authority. Yet we aren't told a single word about the content of his teaching right now. Mark's gospel doesn't contain nearly the number of parables as the other synoptic gospels. The ministry of Jesus, according to the author of the gospel of Mark, is one of healing many of the outcasts who come to him in overwhelming numbers arguing with the religious leaders who oppose his work and fear his popularity and showing his disciples how to bear witness to the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, if you want to know what Jesus taught, you'd better go to Matthew and Luke because Mark is telling us how Jesus lived and how he died. And our text today is about Jesus' first act of public ministry and of all things it's an exorcism now there are many of us from a certain generation that when we hear this word we have vivid images of the movie with linda blair levitating above a bed and spewing pea soup all over the priest well here while jesus is teaching a man with an unclean spirit interrupts the lesson shouts at an inappropriate time and rather than have members of the worship committee escort the man outside and give him a few dollars and send him on his way Jesus sees this as an important moment this man with the unclean spirit understands who Jesus is better than anyone else in the room he is on the margins of society and maybe the margins of sanity, but he knows exactly who Jesus is. Mark still hasn't told us a thing about what Jesus taught. But he shows us that Jesus had a power over things that people label unclean. Mark's inclusion of this exorcism as Jesus' first act of public ministry bookends with Jesus' last act of public ministry after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem where he drove out the money changers in cleansing the temple that's coming in chapter 11. Jesus is challenging the structures and the systems of power, both outside the religious realm and inside, because Jesus recognizes that wholeness includes mental, physical, and spiritual 
well-being. And Mark continues to record the numerous physical and mental healings done by Jesus in this gospel account. My colleague, Dr. Warren Carter, professor of New Testament at Phillips Theological Seminary, has written extensively on Mark's account of Jesus' ministry as a direct challenge to the Roman Empire. He notes that the structure of Roman society was a well-defined system of the haves and the have-nots, and that the poor were often malnourished and downtrodden in spirit because of their limited financial and social status. So Jesus' public ministry of physical healings and exorcisms was a way to demonstrate the alternative power of the kingdom of God displayed over and against the reality of the kingdom of Caesar. In Caesar's world, where even Caesar proclaimed himself to be the son of God, a large part of the population worked hard, eked out a meager existence so that a few could get rich off of their labor and their taxes. And they also paid a huge price in their physical and mental well-being. So in contrast, Jesus proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, where all were created to be equal, where the common good of humanity was to be the standard for living. But as Dr. Carter likes to say, when you push against the Roman Empire like Jesus did, the empire always strikes back. What concerns us, though, with today's text from Mark is Jesus' challenge against the religious structures and the establishment of power. And Mark hints at the conflict being established there in verse 22. For Jesus taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, the scribes were not just secretaries. They were a professional class of Jewish legal scholars experts at interpreting the law. Okay, I can't resist. Lawyer joke. And no offense uh, meant here. I, I appreciate the profession. I used to be a former debate coach. I have trained many lawyers from former students now engaged in this profession. But the story is there's a doctor, a lawyer, a minister, and a little boy that were out for a Sunday afternoon flight on a small private plane. And suddenly the plane developed engine trouble, and in spite of the best efforts of the pilot, the plane started to go down. So the pilot grabbed a parachute, yelled to the passengers that they had better jump, and then he bailed out. Well, unfortunately, there were only three parachutes left. And the doctor grabbed one and said, I'm a doctor, I save lives, so I must live. And he jumped. And then the lawyer said, I'm a lawyer, and lawyers are the smartest people in the world. I deserve to live. And he grabbed a parachute and jumped. And the minister looked at the little boy and said, My son, I have lived a long and full life. You are young and have your whole life ahead of you. Take the last parachute and live in peace. And the little boy handed the parachute back to the minister and said, Not to worry. The smartest man in the world just took off with my backpack. <laughs> now the question framed by Mark here with these scribes centers on the authority to challenge the system. 
to make holy what we call unclean and to declare unclean what we call holy. And powerful social constructions entered the religious sphere as well as in other institutions that definitions belong to those doing the defining, not the defined. Power resides in systems just as it does in individuals. And always when we talk about power, the notion of interest come into play. Whose interests are being preserved? Jesus is begin, beginning to proclaim that God wants each individual to have agency in order to be fully human. And this demonized man has an important place in the system over which the scribes and the rulers preside, the place of the other. He has been named as unclean. He has his prescribed place and he is limited and controlled by it. The system needs those called other because there must be many who are named as unclean in order for others to be meaningfully named as holy ones. And so the demonic spirit challenges Jesus' authority in the synagogue. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And the naming begins. We already know what that name means. Jesus, the uneducated. The one from the poor section of town, the one from the wrong side of the tracks, one of the 99%. But the man with the unclean spirit recognizes something else in Jesus. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And consistent with Mark's gospel, Jesus demands that the spirit immediately shut up. Now, Nathan Nettleton provides an interesting insight into this. If Jesus accepts the name Holy One of God, he buys into the system from which it comes. If he's willing to bear that title, then he endorses a system by which a whole lot of other people are thus named the unclean ones and those who are not of God. So if Jesus willingly wears that title, then he is locked into behaving as one who puts himself above others and who colludes in naming others as outcasts and misfits and unacceptable. And that seems to be precisely the system that he is steadfastly refusing to cooperate with or offer any legitimacy to. He takes a stand now against that system of naming and commands the demonic spirit to shut up and get out. We don't know exactly what words Jesus was using to teach the people in the synagogue, but we surely are being told that his actions are an enactment of his teachings. He is teaching people that they no longer need to be defined by the names that the religious, the legal, and the political system have given them. That in the eyes of God, everyone is acceptable. He is teaching that God will not recognize a system that says only a few can be truly holy and sacrifices the rest as scapegoats by which the holiness of the few is preserved. He is teaching that such a system is a demonic lie which must be silenced and resisted. 
Now, one might say that Jesus has now repossessed the man who was possessed by an unclean spirit. And when I thought about that word repossession, I thought about a show that appeared on television which ran on TV from 2012 to 2014 called Lizard Lick Towing. And each time I had a chance to watch it, I laughed hysterically. It was a reality TV program that showed depictions of vehicle repossessions done by a company in Lizard Lick, North Carolina. And the company is owned by Ron Shirley and his wife, Amy. And the episodes show Ron and Bobby, who's another repo agent, out doing their job of repossessing vehicles. That's a dangerous business. They were cursed at. They were hit. They were even shot at sometimes while trying to do their job. One episode even showed a repo at night in the backwoods of North Carolina where a man had booby-trapped his yard and Bobby ended up swinging in a net from a tree. Being a repo man is a dangerous profession. And in his repossession of the religious establishment, Jesus' ministry also showed the dangers of being a repo man. When people are named as a threat, as unclean, they're destroyed by the system. And if they won't cooperate with their own destruction by accepting their prescribed roles at the bottom of society, then they are lynched and eliminated. But we know that Jesus did not come to destroy anyone. He came to liberate the oppressed and the oppressors alike. And when those in power crucified the one who would do no violence, the extent of the corruption of their system was unmasked and shown in all its brutality. Jesus spoke and acted in ways to reshape the social landscape. And the people recognized that it is a new teaching, a new way of being. And as believers, we know that we bear the image of God within us. And we are to bear faithful witness through our life, through our actions and our words. We are called to give voice and embodiment to the kingdom of God in the world. Unfortunately, unclean spirits still inhabit our world and our churches. And I know that religion has often been a divider and not a uniter. And I know that many congregations have been hurtful places when they were covenanted to be just the opposite. But the church, as Christ's presence in the world, is a place created by God where God may be seen and felt and heard and touched. So it's time for the church to be a space with a different spirit. It's the challenge for each of us who identifies as being a follower of Jesus to take back, to repossess the world for the purposes of God, to challenge those domineering systems that shackle people to lower standards for life than what God intends, it's time to reclaim the space of the kingdom of God with a different spirit. To repossess the spirit of the church as Christ intended it to be. Amen.